Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is The Space, where I shed some light about the making of the current episode and read a review or email we might have received from you. We also invite a listener who has written us a review to come on the show and chat about the episode and what resonated with them. So if you're interested in being featured, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or email me at celine.toblocky at undertheradarmag.com. If you didn't catch it, then it's in our show notes. Today, we're talking about July's episode featuring Lucy Dacus. Now, the tape I want to share with you is of Lucy talking about her collaboration with Phoebe Bridges and Julian Baker called Boy Genius. I I was conscious that the main episode be about her and didn't want to include too much extraneous stuff about her collaborations with Phoebe Bridges and Julian Baker. But as one of the themes in this episode is about how women can come together and uplift each other and not pit themselves against each other, I was curious about how they actually came together again after their Boy Genius EP and all managed to then record songs for each of their own solo individual projects. The initial request was for us to sing on Graceland 2, and so Phoebe was coming to town. So it happened a lot like Boy Genius, where we knew we wanted to do like one song together, and then once we had the idea, we each wrote a song, so we were three, and then we got in the studio and it turned into six. So actually literally the same, like it started off with Graceland 2 and then Julian brought favor to the table. I brought please stay. And then once we got in the room, we realized like, oh, we could also sing on more stuff. So I know the end, Triple Dog Dare. And then they stayed for the group vocal going, going, gone. I think we just like to make the most of our time together. We know that it's limited. So um, we got to like hop to it. Yeah. Tell the fans, will there be a boy genius album in the future you think yeah so there's no plan (laughs) for a boy genius album but we talk all the time and we like each other i think that we want there to be one as much as anybody else does it's just a matter of like we're all busy we all have our own careers we only had one tour together as boy genius and it's been kind of hard especially through covid like we couldn't be physically together so yeah no album yet No. Okay, that's fine. I'm quite happy with your album right now, so I'm not going to (laughs) complain. Thanks. And then when I asked Lucy if she had her favorite song on her album, she had this to say, which I found really heartening to see the way these young women just support each other so wholeheartedly. My favorite moment is the end of Going, Going, Gone when we're all talking, because that was unplanned and it was just really cute and really indicative of the atmosphere of recording. So if you haven't already, I recommend you go listen to Going, Going, Gone on Lucy's album, Home Video. It's such a great album. Now we have two reviews to read. I'm so excited. I'm always inviting listeners of the show to write us Apple Podcast reviews, but if you are on Podchaser, feel free to write a review there too. Um, I'm aware that Not everyone is an Apple user. So our first review is for the London Grammar 
bonus episode that we had last month. For the title, it's just five shiny stars and the review reads, Loved the interview with London Grammar's Hannah Reed. Appreciated the very thoughtful questions and insight. Thank you. And you're welcome. That episode went down so well because London Grammar shared it on their socials and their fans all around the world downloaded and listened to the episode. I want to say a special thank you to Glow in the Dark and Sparkle for taking the time to write the review. And please continue to share the episodes with everyone you know. Now for the second review titled In-Depth and High Quality. I really enjoy Celine's approach to getting the in-depth backstory of the musician's formative years. I related to a lot of Lucy Dacre's early experiences in life, even though we come from very different backgrounds and our trajectories turned out very differently. Same with London Grammar's Hannah Reed, whom I have interviewed many times but never spoke to about her very young years. I also appreciate the audio quality of the podcast, which is tip-top. Nice job. That was from Pictures of Lily, and today, she's our guest. Surprise! Hi, I'm Lily Moyeri. I am Under the Radar's television editor, as well as a longtime contributor to the publication. I've been a freelance journalist focusing on music primarily since 1992, and I'm also a teacher librarian. I've been in education since 2004. And you also have a podcast? I do have a podcast. It's called The Pictures of Lily Podcast. It goes out every other Wednesday. It's a little bit of a different approach. For one thing, it's very short. It's only about 10, maximum 14 minutes long. And it is strictly about my experience interviewing people. If I have a personal connection or something that just is different about what I experienced while I was interviewing these people, maybe one time or over the years that I want to share. So it's just me talking. It's pretty anecdotal. I just like the fact that it's short, so you can just listen to it while you're making your coffee in the morning. Just something different, you know, not trying to do interviews and things like that, because I think you have that covered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the the space is huge and big for more people, for sure. Uh, But I I listened to your Noel Gallagher episode. I thought that was so interesting because it really gives you the long view, right? Mm -hmm. Back from the day when he was a nobody, but he always had that kind of swagger. (laughs) Yeah, the Liam Gallagher episode is our most popular I say R because uh, it's mine and my husband, Lawrence, do the podcast together. And honestly, everybody's always talking to me about the podcast because I'm the voice and I'm the host. But I'm like, oh, it's 90% him and 10% me. So uh, yeah, Liam is our most popular by far. And then Noel is popular. Johnny Marr is very popular. And Niall Marr, his son. So, you know, the Manchester people. And then Wendy and Lisa, who was our most recent one, they shared it themselves and really hyped it up. So that got a lot of listens, thanks to them. Wendy and Lisa sang with Prince and was part of his band, The Revolution, in the 1980s. I'll be sure to put Lily's podcast link in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about this episode. What did you kind of enjoy about it or one or two things that struck you? Well, immediately 
which this happens pretty early on in the episode where she's talking about reading and in retrospect realizing that was maybe something to do with her whole disassociative side. I related to that in a lot of ways. The thing is, I got pulled out of kindergarten halfway through the year and they put me in first grade. So halfway through first grade, people are reading at that point and I am not. So I really struggled through first grade, even though kindergarten was maybe too low level for me. First grade was not, I wasn't really there yet. And then my parents pulled me out and, uh, well, my dad... Why did they pull you out? Well, you know, until my dad's dying day, he kept on asking me, why did I pull you out? What was I thinking? (laughs) And I told him, I'm like, I remember distinctly being at the dinner table and you telling me tomorrow somebody's going to come and pull you out of your kindergarten class and put you into first grade. The reason we're doing that is everything that you're learning in kindergarten, you already learned in preschool. And he's like, you already learned it in nursery school. I don't need you wasting your time there anymore. No. Of course you don't know what's happening. You're five. And so... I was just flailing. But they still didn't think they made the wrong decision, at least at that point. And when I was always in the lowest groups in first grade, you know, after a while you figure, oh, well, this group is the dum-dums. Oh, no. And I knew I wasn't stupid, but I was just like, I can't read this stuff. When I entered second grade, literally every day of the first week of school, they just bumped me up into these higher and higher groups. Somehow, over the summer, I learned how to read. All of a sudden, the letters become words, and the words become sentences, and the sentences become paragraphs and a story, and and you're on your way. So I was a very big reader, and I was in the library all the time. I was like a desperately shy child, which people are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Because they think I'm so different now. And I'm like, oh, I was debilitatingly shy. I couldn't function, had a really, really hard time talking to people. And I just couldn't, my mouth would not open. So I was in the library all the time at school, Mm -hmm. to the point where multiple librarians noticed I was in there every day, told my teacher who called home and told my mom, your child has not seen sunlight or eaten lunch in you know X number of weeks. We think that we should restrict her library yeah. uh, privileges. And my mom's like, I 100% agree with you. Because at that point, she wasn't worried about me reading anymore. Yeah, I was a voracious reader. At that point, she was worried about my nutrition. Yeah, And me getting some vitamin D and getting some exercise and being a little bit more normal. Were you aware this is what you were doing, that you were kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just I was just hiding in the stacks. But I was reading a new book every day or every two days. My teacher is the one that told me, you know, we're restricting your library privileges, and I was just ready to burst into tears. So I started sneaking into the library. First of all, who restricts someone from going to the library? Second of all, who sneaks into a library? Now, I tell my students I get paid to be in the library. (laughs) So yes, I related strongly to that part of what Lucy was saying. I don't know if it was disassociative, because I don't think so. I think mine was related to shyness. But it's very interesting what she's saying, that, you know, reading is considered such a positive activity, and it's commendable. In retrospect, she sees it as a negative thing. I don't, but I know that other people started seeing like, oh, this reading thing backfired on us. You know, we just like encouraged her so much to read. And now look, now she's escaping and running away from everything. I wanted to talk to you, something you mentioned because of the writing Mm -hmm. and the readings is Mm -hmm. this idea of fiction, you know, like 
you, I mean, we interview a lot of artists, right? And a lot of the time, the work that appeals to us are the things that have that truth in it. Mm -hmm. It's like it comes from a place mm -hmm. of honesty. And so, like in Lucy's case, it's a lot of it is um, things that are from her journals and from her own experiences. But what happens when you fictionalize it as a librarian as well where do you see those lines how do we tell stories about ourselves whose permission do we need to tell these stories to write these things do you, do you have to ask permission from people because she was saying like that uh, Phoebe Bridges had said to her yeah right like you're an orphan what do you think about that um I don't think that you need permission one of my friends from a long time ago she is a novelist I knew her so well that the first book of hers I read, I recognized everybody in it. And I recognized the stories in it because she had told me those stories and then turned them into like a combination of them into characters and scenarios in the book. And I actually interviewed her for a feature on her and she said that she takes the stuff from her life and filters it through fiction and into the story. I don't remember exactly what she said, but I remember her using the word filter. And I remember her acknowledging, like, yeah, these are things that happened, but then I just filter them. Some of the people in the book never spoke to her again because they definitely recognized themselves and were very angry that she had written a book like that and were 100% sure that people would know it was them because they were, you know, famous musicians. I don't think you need permission. I really don't. You're an artist and your art is a reflection of you as a person. And that's the only way it resonates with anyone is when it's truthful. Perhaps we don't need permission, but then we might have to be prepared to lose friends. And in Lucy's case, they aren't just friends. They are her parents who she loves. And so she's had to consider that. And I understand that. It's actually really tricky making good art I think and as an artist you're constantly trying to negotiate the boundaries as such and I was curious as to what Lily also thought of the storm in the Twitter teacup that ensued after Phoebe Bridges smashed her guitar on SNL and an artist from a band she might have admired David Crosby from Crosby Steels and Nash weighed in with um, rather unpleasant remarks. I've had this experience when I was going to interview artists whose music I loved and I was worried that I wouldn't that their personality would turn me off their music and I was worried that I would lose their music because of knowing that they were not the greatest person or maybe they were weird with me or something like that. So as a musician that is so much more amplified because these are people you look up to. These are people whose music is shows up in your music. Um, these are people that maybe wanted, like it's because of them that you started doing music and to have them say something negative about you. I'm surprised he even said anything. <laughs> it's just like, why are you even talking? <laughs> I know. Why is he even talking? Um, lots of different things to unpack there as well. You know, this kind of idea of cancel culture and that idea to separate the art from the makers. If they've had bad behavior, it's all of these kind of naughty, complicated questions, which is so much a part of the conversation that we're all having today. 
The other thing that was interesting was as music journalists who have been writing for a while, uh, myself and Lily, we also chatted about that misogyny that's always been around in the industry. There was this real sense that women had all this power in the, I think throughout most of the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, all the bands that we were seeing, a lot of them were fronted by women. I was working at MTV Asia at the time, and I think we were all under the impression that we'd made it. You know, all these women had done all this hard work so that now we're just going to move forward. Clearly, that's not the case. And yet we've also noticed more women rise to positions of power. But it did also bring to mind something else for me that another journalist, Liz Lenz, wrote in her recent newsletter that one of her favorite jokes is, we will know we have equality not when women can succeed at the same rate as men, but when women can fail like men, which, which I think is really interesting. Related to the music thing again, when I interviewed Nancy Wilson from Heart not long ago, she was saying that in you know, the late 70s and early 80s, women were really coming into their own and like, you know, playing their guitars, playing their instruments, owning their space on the stage, which she was a huge part of that. And she said that MTV was responsible for the downfall of women again. Because they over-sexualized women, you had to look a certain way and wear certain clothes and show body parts. And she said they just over-sexualized everything so that, you know, all of that power that came with being a musician was taken away because, once again, you were a sex object. That went on for so long. That went on for so, so, so long. Over 20 years. And only really in the last few years are we seeing the Phoebes of the world, the Lucys of the world, the Julians of the world coming through again, finally. But that took a long, long time. And again, you know, people on the business side of it, not letting these creative women come through. I don't even think it's other guy musicians. I think I don't think that they ever really are the ones throwing the static. They're happy to have you on their record or collaborating. It's just that the industry is just, there's just no room. I feel like it's the corporatization of art and the art that women do. If all the structures of power are men, and uh, like right now the, the thing that comes to my mind so much is the whole Britney Spears thing because there was a time when she was coming up, the whole MTV generation, right? It was like it was so sexualized and this idea of this high school kid with the mini skirt. And who was at the record label at the time, Neil Portnow, who said if women want to be part and get Grammys for production or the rest, then step up. What kind of person was he? What kind of leader was he of a record label? You look into the history of what was going on at the time and who were in the positions of power, and then you think, ah, so I feel like those are coming down. We're, we're starting to bring them down again. But they also do say this thing about history, right? It's like an elastic band. You three steps forward and then bing, it goes back <laughs> around again. Oops, we're back here again. Yeah. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Of course. Thanks for asking me. I hope you've all enjoyed this bite-sized episode. Thank you again, Lily Moyeri, for coming on the show. You can find Lily's writing about TV at Under the Radar magazine. We both write for the magazine, hence the name of the podcast. 
Lily recently did an interview with the series producer of This Is Pop, the Netflix music series, which I loved. And my favorite episode was the autotune episode because it encompassed all the relevant cultural conversations that we're having right now and went to such a personal space. And my least favorite episode of that was the Brill Building one. I don't know what the director of that episode had in mind because I just felt like it was such an interesting topic that never really got fleshed out. And I feel the same way about the festival episode as well. Anyway, I'm going to do a review for Mark Rodson's Watch the Sound, a new Apple TV docuseries that drops tomorrow. So look out for that. And also look out for a review that Lily did of Apple TV's Ted Lasso's second season. Um, and you can follow Lily on Twitter at Lily Moyeri, L-I-L-Y-M-O-A-Y-E-R-I. Please follow Under the Radar Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, apps like Overcast and Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss next month's episode. Follow us, write us a review, email me at celine.teoblocky at undertheradarmag.com. Till next time. <laughs>